So how does good come out of a tragedy? How do we take a situation that's full of strife and heartache and pain and try to maintain some sort of level of righteousness or, or godly wisdom or maturity? You know, that's one of the difficult questions as believers that we have to answer. And I know in a lot of times we like to cite Romans 8, 28, that as we go through trials, it says in all things, God works for the good of those who love them, who have been called according to his purpose. Now, don't get me wrong, that theology is absolutely true. Uh, but in the moment sometimes, you know, the theology can be hard to come by, and what we need is simply hands of compassion and hands of love uh, around somebody. But that's why it's important before we go through those periods in life that, that we have that theology as a basis, that we have that understanding of who God is and what God's story and what God says about us and God's promises. Because as we go through hardship in life, we, we want to be prepared to handle what that's going to look like. And don't get me wrong, it does not mean it's going to be easy because we go through sorrow and grief. We go through trials in our lives. That's just inevitable, right? We live in a broken and fallen world and we have to wrestle and deal with that. Um, but knowing God's truth and being able to trust in God before all of that happens can bring a lot of comfort uh, in what may even be some of the darkest days that we have to go through. So today we are going to take a look at the life of Joseph. And Joseph had a lot that he went through and he gives us a good picture of how to handle those challenges in life. Now, I'm going to ask you to buckle up because, Joseph, we're going to cover 19 chapters of the Bible today. So we're going to kind of, kind of do a, a quick hit of a lot of this and, and try to be able to make sense of, of all of this. Uh, but again, God has created. Man has sinned. God came and, and promised that he would defeat sin and Satan. Uh, and then he made that promise to Abraham. He made that promise to Isaac. And then he made that promise to Jacob. And we're going to continue with that story of watching the flow of that promise through the lineage that started with Abraham. And so last week we talked about Jacob. And again, remember, Jacob has 12 sons. He's got 12 sons with four different women. And the one that he loves the most, his true love, is Rachel. And out of Rachel, she... Jacob has his last two children. He has Joseph, he's child 11, and then Benjamin, who will be child number 12. So that's just kind of important to keep that tucked away. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37, we're going to start in verse 1. Again, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now we're looking at the story, the character of Joseph. Chapter 37. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. And this is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, and his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, that's another name for Jacob, remember he had his name changed. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he had made a richly ornated robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their father had loved him more than any of the other, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. 
Okay, so Jacob is old. He has Rachel, the one that he loves. Joseph is born out of this and out of that love, he gives him this great looking robe that really sets him apart from the rest of his brothers. It really kind of signifies like this feeling of royalty to Joseph, you know, that, that in the terms of favorites or the hierarchy of love, there's Joseph and there's the rest of his brothers. And so he goes out um, to, to go see his, his brothers and, and, and they hate him because they know how dad loves on him. And so now we're going to add some insult to injury. Verse five. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And then he had another dream and he told his brothers, listen, he said, I have another dream. And this time the sun, the moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. And when he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come down to bow the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept this in mind. Okay, so he has these dreams and he basically says, hey, brothers. I know I'm number 11, but you guys are going to bow down to me. And they're like, we hate you, Joseph. We can't stand you. And so now we continue in the rest of this chapter. His brothers are about 60 miles away. They're out grazing some, some flock. And he shows up and they're like, oh, here comes that dreamer again. And they're like, let's get rid of him. What if we kill him? Then we won't have to deal with him anymore. We won't, we won't have to watch Father fawn all over him. Let's get rid of him. So they, they conspired this plan. Let's take him. We'll throw him into a cistern, which was like a well in the desert. And we'll leave him there to die. We'll, we'll take, his, we'll take his, his robe and we'll take it back to dad. And we'll say, hey, he got eaten by a wild animal. We'll pour some blood on it. And we'll convince dad that he's dead and he'll die. And we'll, this will be the end of it. Now, as they're planning and concocting this, Reuben gets this idea and goes, eh, maybe we shouldn't kill him, guys. And Judah steps in and is like, yeah, like, look, what are we going to gain from this? Let's, let's just sell him. So along comes a caravan of traders and they take Joseph and they sell him to this caravan. And that caravan makes its way down to Egypt. And they go back to dad and they said, dad, we got some bad news. Here's Joseph's robe. He got killed by a bunch of wild animals. And all this time, he's going down to Egypt. And Joseph ends up being in the house of Potiphar, which was the captain of the guard at that point. Uh, and so he's sold into there. So now we're into chapter 39 of the story. And, and at this point, Potiphar puts him in charge. He says, I'm going to put you in charge of my house. And everything that Joseph does essentially turns to gold. He just, he's got the Midas touch. Everything's going very well in what he's in charge of. And we see in chapter 39, verses 5 and 6, it says, From the time he put him in charge of the household, this is Joseph, and all that he had owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything that Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. And so he left in, in Joseph's care everything he had, and Joseph in charge, and he did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. So again, everything's going great for Joseph. He's doing well. But then we have this issue in verse 7 here. 
Potiphar's paying no attention. He's like, I don't even have to watch Joseph. But now verse 7. Now Joseph was built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. And one day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and run out of the house, she called to her household servants, look, she said to them, this Hebrew has, has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. She told him this story that Hebrew slave you brought came to me to make sport. But as soon as I screamed, he left his cloak here and I ran out. Uh, he ran out. And when his master heard the story and his wife told him, he said, this is how the slave treated me. He burned with anger and Joseph's master took him, put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So we have this idea that essentially Joseph is a stud, right? He's handsome. He's well built. Potiphar's wife is like man, I'd, I'd really like to be with him. And she persists day after day. She's, she's trying to get him into bed. And he continues to refuse to the point where he's like, I don't even want to be near her. Well, she kind of catches him in this off guard moment and she, she gets aggressive and he, he's, he tells her, I can't do this. And he flees from the situation. And like a woman scorned, she's not happy about this. And she goes to Potiphar, her husband, and she says, look what he tried to do. And Joseph is unfairly thrown into prison. But as he's in prison, the same thing happens. The warden of the jail notices something special about Joseph. And he says, I'm going to put you in charge of the jail. And just like when he was with Potiphar, everything that he did was extremely successful. So now we're into chapter 40 of the story. So while he's in there... The cupbearer and the king's baker get thrown in. They do something to anger the pharaoh. And as they're in there, Joseph goes, hey, guys, what's, what's with the sad face? What's, what's going on with you two? And they're like, ah, Joseph, we had this dream. We can't figure it out, and it's really beginning to kind of irritate us. And Joseph says, well, listen, my God can help you figure out what that dream is. So, so why don't you tell me your dream, and I will interpret it for you. And so they share the story. They share the dream of what's going on. And Joseph says, I know exactly what's going to happen. He says, listen, guys, in three days, here's what's going to happen. You're both going to stand before the Pharaoh. And the cupbearer, to the cupbearer, he says, you will be reinstated. Okay, God's going to put you or the Pharaoh's going to put you back into the position. And then he turns to the baker and he says, as for you, well, it's not going to go so well. You're going to be hung by Pharaoh and the birds are basically going to come and eat out of your head. <laughs> and so after Joseph shares this in chapter 40 of uh, verse 14 and 15, he says to the cupbearer, he says, but when all of this goes well with you, 
Remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison, for I was forcefully carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a prison. And so everything goes exactly how it happens. The cupbearer is reinstated. The baker is hung. But then in verse 23, it says the cupbearer did not remember Joseph and he forgot him. How awful for Joseph, right? His brothers hate him. He's sold into slavery. He's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. And now the man that he encouraged and said, could you just remember me when you get reinstated, completely forgets all about Joseph. And so two years pass. Joseph continues his jail business. And then Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh is struggling to try to understand about these ugly, skinny cows that start eating these big, uh, fat ones. And then he has another dream where these thin and withered grain stalks begin to consume these healthy grain stalks. And Pharaoh's like, I can't figure out what this dream is. What's going on? And he's perplexed and he calls all the wise men and magicians and he tells them the dream. And he's like, guys, somebody better tell me the answer here because I'm getting a little upset about this. And nobody can tell Pharaoh what it means. And at that moment, the cupper is like, oh, my gosh, I completely forgot about this guy, Joseph. Pharaoh, I know somebody that can help you figure out your dream. And so they go and they get Joseph and he's brought before Pharaoh and he says, look, I can't tell you the dream, but God can give you an answer. So you tell me your dream and God will tell you what it means. And so that's what happens. So now we're in chapter 41, verse 28. And he hears the dream, 41:28. It says, it is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what is he about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all of the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that as the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. Now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food in these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. And this food should be held in reserve for the country to be used for the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. And this plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his officials. So he says, look, you're going to have seven years of abundance and then seven years of famine. So what you need to do is you need to start stockpiling right now, Pharaoh. You need to save up because in those lean years, you're going to make sure that you want to have something extra. So I encourage you to start finding some people to put in place. And so he takes this knowledge from God and he turns it into wisdom to make it practically applicable for Pharaoh. And all of Pharaoh's officials are like, what an amazing plan, Pharaoh. You know what? Put that guy in charge. He clearly knows what he's doing. And so in verse 41 of chapter 44, 
So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot at his second in command and men shouted before him, make way. And thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or a foot in all of Egypt. What an amazing turnaround. What an amazing story that's starting to happen here, right? I mean, Joseph is now put in charge to only Pharaoh himself. There is nobody higher in all of Egypt except for Joseph. And he gets the, the, the ring of authority. He gets this fine, uh, fine robe. And he's got this gold chain that he's wearing. I mean, he goes from the prison to the prince's seat. He goes from being under authority of people to now being over authority. He goes from having to wear shackles around his wrist to now wearing a gold chain of wealth. And just like all other positions, Joseph diligently fulfills his job. And he goes out and he begins to gather food in the times of abundance and they put it in the storehouse. And then the famine comes and the people from all over hear that there is food in Egypt. And so the people come down and Joseph is able to use all of that to provide food for the people, but more so, he's able to basically make money for Pharaoh during this time. And now we're in chapter 42. So as the famine hits, Jacob, Joseph's father, says to his brothers, he says, you guys need to go down there. You you need to go buy some food. We we need to try to live here. And so they, they go down, and Joseph recognizes his brothers, but they don't realize it's him. And at this point, Joseph decides he's going to put his brothers through the ringer a little bit. He's going to put them through a series of tests. And I think Joseph wants to do this because he really wants to understand his brothers. He wants to understand, has his brothers changed? What is the condition of their heart knowing what they did to him? Have his brothers come to a place of forgiveness and repentance and reconciliation? Have they, have they really grasped and, and wrestled with what they did to Joseph? And he says, I'm going to, I'm going to lead them through a series of trials that's going to force them to confront what has happened. And remember, again, Joseph is Jacob's firstborn with Rachel, the one that he loves. And Benjamin was the second one from Rachel. So when Joseph is taken away and Jacob thinks he's dead, he basically transfers all of that love from Joseph over to Benjamin. And so essentially Benjamin has now become the favorite at this point. And he's, I think he's thinking to himself, are my brothers treating Benjamin the way they should have treated me with love and care and not hostility and anger? And so I'm going to put them through a series of trials and see, are they going to protect Benjamin the way they should have protected me? 
And so he begins this series of tests. And they show up and he says, you guys are spies. And they're like, we're not spies. What are you talking about? We're just here for food like everyone else. And he's like, no, you guys are spies. You're just here. You're, you're here to kill Pharaoh and destroy Egypt. And they plead their innocence and they go through their history. And they're like, hey, we've got a dad back home. And there's a brother that's at home. And one of our brothers isn't here anymore. And he says, well, prove it to me. You go back and get your youngest brother. and You bring him back here. But one of you has to stay here as collateral. And so Simeon stays behind while those brothers go back. And while they're going back, Reuben the oldest is like, guys, don't you get why we're going through this? We're being held accountable for what we did to Joseph all those years ago. We now have to pay for our sins. And so they go back and Joseph fills their bag with all their provisions. He actually gives them all the silver back and, and, and they go on their way and they get back home. And they're like, Dad, we, we got we to gotta bring Benjamin back. And Dad's like, no way. I already lost Joseph. You are not taking Benjamin back with you. And they're like, but Dad, Simeon's down there. This is the, and he's, I'm sorry, Simeon's going to have to stay. And so they continue. And then it continues to get worse and worse. And after some time in chapter 43, the provisions are all used up. And Jacob says, all right, back to Egypt. And they're like, Dad, we, we can't go back down there without Benjamin. And so Jacob is, is torn about this, but he finally relents. And he says, he says all right, you can, you, can, you can take him. Really, after only Judah basically says, I, I will ensure his security, Dad. I will make sure he comes back, even if it costs me my life. And so they go back down and they're a little afraid and they get back to Egypt and, and they go before Joseph and they're like, here's our youngest brother. And they're like, what's going to happen to us? And Joseph says, guys, let my servants wash your feet. Come, come, I will feed your animals. Come sit at my dining table and let's feast over this. And then he gets ready to send them back on their way again and he provides provisions where they can go back home. But this time... Joseph secretly slips in to Benjamin's bag, his cup. So in the morning, they're on their way, and Joseph says to his men, somebody stole my cup. Go after those men and figure out who stole it. Again, this was all planned by Joseph. And so they go out, they track the men down, they track Joseph's brothers, and they're like, hey, somebody stole from Joseph. Somebody stole from Pharaoh. And they're baffled by this. What do you mean? We, we just came here for grain. We didn't steal anything from anyone. And they're like, well, prove it. So they start going through the bags, and what do they find? They find the cup in Joseph's bag. All right, let's go. Back to Egypt. Back to Joseph. You guys have a lot of explaining to do here. And so they get there and Joseph is like, how dare you? You know what, Benjamin? You are now going to be my slave. And the brothers are like, please, you can't do this. You can't, you can't take Benjamin. We have to take him back. We promised our dad. And, and jo Judah steps in and he says, I will give you my life. Take me instead. I can't watch my father's misery. Please, please. And they're pleading and they're pleading. And at this point, Joseph is broken over this, and he realizes that all of those tests he sought, that they have now had a heart change and desired to love Benjamin the way they should have. And so what does he do? He says, guys, I can't take it anymore. I'm your brother, Joseph. And they're like, what? And they weep, and they embrace. And he says, guys, go back and get dad. Because there's five more years of famine. 
Go back and get the family. And Pharaoh hears about this. And he's like, yeah, go back. Get everybody. And you can live in the best of my land. Go get everybody and come back. And so they go back and they tell dad. and They, they get the whole family and everybody's coming back down to Egypt. And Jacob gets old and he blesses his children and he dies. And now we're in chapter 50. Now, at this point, the brothers are still a little bit wary. Okay, dad was kind of our safety guard here. What's going to happen to us? Is, is, is Joseph going to turn? Is he going to get angry with us? And so in verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him? And so they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of your servants of God, the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. And when his brothers then came in and threw themselves down before him and said, we are your slaves. But Joseph said, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And so the, the brothers are worried and they're afraid of what's going to happen. And, and dad's like, listen, just tell them to forgive you of everything that you've done. And they go in and like, we're sorry, we're your servants. And Joseph is like, guys, I have already forgiven you. Guys, we're, we are past this point. You have nothing to worry about. I am going to take care of you and your families. That is over and done with. And so they stay in Egypt. And Joseph dies about the age of 110 years old. So in the end, what do we see? We see this beautiful picture of reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers. That, that his brothers have turned, they've recognized their sins, they've come to a place of confession, they're seeking out forgiveness, and they reconcile. In the life of Joseph, as I said, it gives us a really good picture of how do we handle hardship in life. See, as followers of Christ, again, we are not exempt from the difficulties that are going to happen. When we put our faith in Jesus, it does not become an invisibility shield where, where nothing can harm us. We are going to experience hardship. But when we have Christ in our lives and we go through that, there is a feeling of comfort and peace that the Spirit gives us that says, I am with you. You don't have to fear. Especially when we have to deal with in, injustice and evil. When we go through things that, that are not right, we all experience that. There are times in our lives where we go, God, this is not fair. And God says, I know, but I still love you and I'm still with you. And I will carry you through this. And so when we look at Joseph, right, he's, he's hated by his brothers for doing nothing wrong. 
They, they plan to kill him and they sell him into slavery. He's now in prison in Potiphar's house. And as things are going well, he's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. He's thrown into jail. He interprets these dreams, giving credit to God. And what happens? The cupbearer forgets him. And he continues to faithfully do everything that he's supposed to be doing. And when his brothers show up, when he's put into a position of authority and his brother shows up, he really could have instantly right away said, guys, it's me. It's your brother. But I don't think that would have brought the reconciliation that he was seeking. Or he could have done the other thing, which is probably what most of us wanted to do. I'm going to get vengeance on my brothers and I'm going to punish them the way that they've punished me. But Joseph said, no, none of that. What this is about is about forgiveness and reconciliation and my love for my family. And when we go through hardships, guys, understand it's not good. It doesn't mean that it's right. It doesn't mean that we should suffer. But, but what happens is that God has the ability to take tragedy and take evil and turn it into a blessing that something good may come out of that. And again, I, I say that in a theological sense, but again, I know that is hard when we are going through the struggles. But that is the reality and the promises of God. And so when we struggle, we live like Joseph. You know, Joseph probably spent about 25 years from the moment he was sold into slavery to when his brothers came down. 25 years that Joseph had to deal with this. But what does he do? He trusts God. He remains faithful. He remains obedient. He knows God's love and care. He exemplifies the characteristics of God. He, he is faithful to God's promises. And God is faithful to his promise, trusting God for deliverance. Right? Now, here's the thing about Joseph's story. Don't get me wrong. What we learn out of Joseph's story is great for us to hear. The problem is we're missing the bigger picture of the story. See, when, when, we, when we track Genesis and we track the, the sinfulness of, of Adam, what happens? It, it goes from Adam and then the promise to Abraham and then the promise to Isaac and the promise to Jacob. And then we have 19 chapters about the story of Joseph. And we, we track the story through Joseph. And we go, yeah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Yeah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Here's what we need to remember. The Savior doesn't come through the line of Joseph. It comes through the line of Judah. And really, the only story we have about Judah is a story where he engaged in some licentious acts with a prostitute. Because, see, here's what happens. We like to take Joseph's story, we like to take God's story, and we like to make it man-centered. We like to look at the story of Joseph and go, see what Joseph did? That's how I can live. I'm going to make this a story about me. But see, what we need to realize is God's story is God-centered. 
It is not about me, and it is not about you. Yes, there are pieces that we can glean about how we should live in relation to God, but we cannot make ourselves the hero of the story because God is the hero of the story. So I intentionally left some stuff out. If you want to go back to Genesis chapter 45 really quick, I I intentionally skipped over a lot of this. Because when we go back to when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, this is the part of the story that we really need to hear. Genesis chapter 45, verse, starting in verse 4. Again, Joseph has revealed himself to his brothers. And then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land, and for the next five, there will, be but plowing and re- there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but it was God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says, that God has made me lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me and don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen, and you will be near me, you and your children and grandchildren, your flocks and your herds and all you have, and I will provide for you there, because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. See, God sent Joseph to save his people. God sent Joseph down for a deliverance of not just Joseph and not just Jacob and his family, but all of his people. And I love that word there, destitute. I think when we hear that word, we we get the picture of poverty. But here's what's really interesting, that in the context of the scripture here, when you do the studying, destitute means to disinherit. To disinherit, to lose possession of, to no longer be an heir to. And here's what happened. God says, look, there's a famine. And if my people stay in that land, my people are going to die off. And so are my promises to my people. I promised my people, I promised to Abraham that I would be their God and I would love them and I would care for them. And they would be as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the sea. I made a promise to them that this is their home and this is their land. And if you stay here, you are going to lose that promise because you are all going to die. And God says, I am faithful to my promise and I am faithful to my people. And so when Joseph was sold through the evil intentions of his brother, what did God do? God forced evil to succumb to his divine will and his good plan. And he put Joseph in a position to provide for his people. He put Joseph in a position 
so that his people could come down and live and thrive in a place that they weren't going to during the time of the famine. And as they prepare to head down, God speaks to Jacob again. Remember, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. 46 in verse 2. God spoke to Israel in a vision at night. Again, that is Jacob. And he said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. And I will go down to Egypt with you. And I will surely bring you back again. Don't fear, Jacob. Don't fear. I made a promise to you. And I'm sending you down and I'm going to bring you back. 100% guarantee. So if you are worried, if you are concerned about what's going to happen, I have made a promise to my people and I will bring you home. And so this story of Joseph is not a story about him and how he handles struggle. The story of Joseph is to point us back to God. The story of Joseph is to point us to the goodness and divine plan of what God has for humanity. The story of Joseph is to point us back to the characteristics and faithfulness of God and his love and care and faithful promise to each and every one of us. So just as God sent Joseph to save his people, we know the bigger picture that God would send Jesus Christ to save his people. And when struggle comes and when we fear, guys, we don't have to worry because we are heirs to a promise that is ensured by the blood of Jesus Christ and our eternity is secure. That is the story that Joseph gives us. Let's pray. Father, forgive us when we make the Bible about us. Father, forgive us when we like to step in and play hero. Because God, anything good that happens in this world is not as a result of us because we know that our hearts are sinful. We know that our hearts are broken and rebellious towards you. Father, how could anything good come from who we are? It is only by your sovereign grace, Father, that we live and that we have an eternity. So, Father, I love this picture of this story. And I know that we will experience hardship and we will shed tears and we will cry and we will fret and, and groan and worry. But, God, your hand comes down on us and it puts its hand on our shoulder and it says, don't worry, child. You are an heir to the kingdom of eternity. So thank you. Thank you, God, for sending Joseph to spare your people to continue a promise that ultimately would send Jesus to save us from our sins. Amen.